Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I'm joined by Andreas Quatrito of databoutique.com, the fashion company data provider based out of Milan. In our conversation, Andrea and I discuss the origins of databoutique.com, formerly known as RE Analytics, the challenges of working with luxury retail data, and the education that is required for clients to understand the companies involved. FYI, I'm on paternity leave now and have left some podcast episodes to be released through the summer. So in this episode, I am joined by Andrea Squatrito of databoutique.com. Thank you very much for joining today, Andrea. Thank you for having me, Mark. You're very welcome. Um, so, Andrea, let us, always a pleasure to have a, a European alternative data provider on the uh, on the podcast as a, as a London-based podcaster, as, as uh, then I'm, I'm, I'm always very keen to kind of uh, wave the flag for Europe. Um, so that's first, you're in, you're in Italy, aren't you? Whereabouts in Italy are you? Uh, we're based in Milan. In Milan. The, the home of fashion, which uh, will come to be important. Um, but exactly. Um, exactly. So, um, Andrea, why don't you start just by, why don't we just, just give a little very brief introduction as to what databoutique.com is and, and what you guys do? Yes. So, uh, very simply put, we monitor product prices and provide this as market intelligence to mainly the corporate area. Uh, but in the recent years, uh, many of the buy-side equity firms uh, came close to us in uh, in terms of uh, accessing these data sets that we provide uh, in this market intelligence tool. So very simply put, we monitor prices and trying to, to do this as wide as possible in order to capture uh, bigger trends than it is, uh, than it, it um, easily meets the eye when just accessing a few um, product prices. Um, we collect data from from the web, what is publicly accessible, and uh, we did it in a, in a volume that it it really allows to spot uh, distribution trends in in any sector. We're particularly strong in luxury goods, given the geographic pro- proximity. So that's where we started, uh, but we operate in all consumer goods areas. Fantastic. Okay. And your geographical coverage is? Global. 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 Fantastic. Um, okay. So let us let us go back to how it, how it all began. You um, have been... So uh, we can perhaps start by clearing, cleaning up the name issue, actually, because I first came across the company as RE Analytics, and now it's, it's branded as databoutique.com. What's the, what's, what's the story there? Yeah, well, when, when we started uh, 2015, um, we started as Reanalytics. Uh, there was a heavy focus in uh, real estate since that was one of the industries where most of the data on pricing was available on the web. And then we later on expanded uh, over general consumer uh, goods and services. So um, Reanalytics is still there is more as a data service, as a data uh, factory. Uh, and we do a lot of custom projects, but then databoutique.com sort of uh, came as there was a need to um, have a 
public place, sort of the store where we where we provide our services and our data sets to uh, a wider audience. So it's it's so to speak our public face. Uh, it's our boutique, maybe because uh, we have worked so much and so long with the uh, fashion and luxury industry that boutique was kind of the right name to start with. I'm picturing when uh, in in a few years time when we're all on the metaverse, I'm picturing the data boutique is going to be like some high end kind of, uh, you know, Hugo Boss shop or something like that, that will be, you know, with a with a beautiful frontage and, and, and excellent attentive staff and things like yeah. that. That's the that's what you're kind of getting ready for, isn't it? You're going to you're going to create your beautiful luxury space. Ironically enough, that is exact the, the same comment that the analyst just did to us last week. So I think no. that's going to really be our next move. <laughs> Excellent. Better get going. Better get hiring those those uh, meta metaverse specialists. Yeah, for um, prices we cut. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so so tell me the story then you've, you've touched on it you started off with RE Analytics and you've also said that you you guys are um, not finance guys not kind of investment markets guys more you're it, it strikes me from our previous conversations you are kind of you know you're 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 a person who knows about the finer things in Milan you know the fashion and the luxury and things like that how did um, how did we get here Yes. So um, me and my co-founder, Pierluigi Vinciguero, we started off as management consultants in Accenture first. Then I moved to Ernst & Young and all we did was doing um, uh, business intelligence for uh, retail banking, covering several sectors in order to uh, provide uh, description of how the single industries were performing to either di uh, direct to clients or uh, to the management of the bank itself. And back in 2014, 2015, we just realized there was so much more in terms of external data. Back then, we didn't know it had a name as alternative data. We just thought about it as external data. And we, we started off this venture where the main goal was to um, provide this uh, comprehensive uh, collection of information that is out there and pricing was one of the key elements that could be captured. And so there we started. Do you remember, the, sorry to interrupt, yeah. Andre. Do you remember how, how you realized that there was this data? Because there isn't that, I haven't come across another alternative data provider in, in Milan. Um, I don't know if I've come across other ones based in Italy. It's not. So if you were there working in Milan, then you seem to have had a realization that no one else was having, having at the time. Do you remember the specific moment where you realized, wait a minute, there's a lot of data and we can, we can, we can um, make a lot of money from that? Uh, well, working with... Um... It was, it was a project uh, we were conducting in one of the firms um, that involved the need for estimates and prices in, in real estate in order to provide uh, fast um, in order to provide um, fast estimates on the value of certain assets. And um, it, it just out of the blue at the moment, it just seemed so obvious that the prices were out there and while all the data providers we were trying to, to purchase this data set from were not meeting the basic need that you just, were just browsing the web to say, hey, it's, it's just there. Uh, you know, mm. it just needs to, to be captured. It's way more structured than, uh, than it appears it is in the, in the uh, classic or traditional uh, data providers. Then, of course, uh, then 
when, when, when you start collecting, you, you, you see there's a lot of differences, uh, differences that are well known today in the alternative data uh, space in finance, just lack of history, the um, uh, different granularity, the issues with data quality that we all had to go through and learn uh, from it. But most definitely the, the scope was so, so vast that it totally filled the gap and we decided to start from there. Was your partner a, a coding person? How did you How did you then start, you know, scraping and doing all the logistics of, of engineering and things? Yes, we're um, we're sort of uh, um, two parts, two uh, pieces of the same puzzle. He's more of the technical guy. I'm more the um, commercial. Com- well, well, commercial or, or um, uh, analyst uh, mm-hmm. side of it. And we sort of, uh, from, from the beginning, we, we, we most definitely uh, find our, the, the right uh, position in this, in this venture as we started. And when, when we started growing, then we more or less kept the same uh, major roles, of course, developing when the team started growing, when the uh, partners also started joining in. And, but we, we kept this differentiator. So I was more on the commercial or business side and it was, and he is still uh, running very, uh, very kindly the um, technical side of it technical with all the side. major uh, complications that arise from that. For sure. Okay. So I interrupted you. You were, you were, you were, you were mid story. So, um, yeah, we, uh, we, we just realized that there is so much information on, uh, uh, consumer behavior on product uh, distribution on on uh, pricing um, of of products and services is out there, and it just was just there, and we needed to grasp it. When at be- telling the truth, when we really started uh, at the beginning was way before twenty fourteen. There wasn't even uh, structured cloud uh, cloud computing services. So actually, when we started, it was a little bit too ahead of times and. Uh, we were doing it like in literally in, in the garage with, with the actual, you know, iron server plugged to the, to the internet connection. And that then, of course, did, didn't work for the kind of um, uh, volumes of data that were needed. But then in, uh, when Amazon AWS came out, then this made it possible to turn this uh, large amount of data to be collected and cleaned and processed and so we really focus on 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 this part of the uh of the data to provide data as high quality as possible as stable as possible has structured as possible uh in in this segment and we leave all the um correlation and all the algorithmic part either to our clients or to our partners so you were you were scraping price data um, online um, for so for example you were going to I don't know the, the Gucci website and and uh, and scraping all their all of their items etc and, and and building up a, a kind of a, a, and having to as you say build up the history which is what so many quant funds well actually you weren't you weren't necessarily um, focused on quant funds at the time but having to build up the history to make the data useful um, who was this who was this uh, well first of all. Did you start off with a with kind of scraping Italian, or were you were you having a global focus from the start? How did that grow? And who were your who was your initial clientele focus? What were you yeah. what, what were you what were you picturing? Yes, so um, we we immediately started at global scale. We we just found that the uh, 
companies were already, of course, collecting information from, from for their competitive Intel uh, purposes, but what was missing was the scale of it to have the, the, the bigger picture. And in this, in this sense, not only uh, luxury fashion is geographically close to us and that made it easy to start with, but also there's this uh, heavy polarization since uh, European brands, Milan, Paris, uh, and London, uh, mainly, we're selling globally. So you have in a very uh, uh, close region uh, brands that are selling globally. So hence the the opportunity to provide them uh, with information on prices, availability, distribution uh, on their products and their competitors. And of course, mm-hmm. that wasn't an easy path because um, corporates we're not used um, using the past here. Not exactly sure why, but we're not used to use external data uh, for their internal decision planning. But we found a very, um, very open network of advisory uh, companies. So we have all the strategic companies and all the uh, management. Uh, management uh, advisory firms in general that were very, very open to work with us and leaving to us the heavy-duty work to collecting and cleaning the data, uh, whereas they could um, spend the time with their with their clients by, by inserting this information in their decision-making process, which was not easy. At the beginning, we started with uh, uh, private equity, uh, sector very interested uh, whenever it came to uh, making due dil- commercial due diligence components of their deals, and then in late and, and then from the private equity funds, then we expanded to those companies that uh, at, the, at the beginning the companies that that were uh, the subject of the M and A deals, and then there it expanded to the to the entire to the entire sector. Uh, I have to say, it, as I said before, it's. It's not yet there. The, uh, the, the corporate sector is not yet ready to embrace external data, as of course as we wish. But the larger the larger companies are. So we're we're still in in uh, in, in crossing the chasm, so to speak. Uh, but but the bigger the, the the larger the larger brands are there. You've been you've been doing this since 2015, as you say. Yes, and also as you say. Um, the corporate side is just what everyone's talking about at the moment. Here we are in 2022, whereas 2015 was actually the time when the investors perhaps were were more discovering the the alternative data side. The the, the hedge funds were were more discovering data at that point. So there was more of a kind of alternative data community events beginning to pop up, and you know the the, the battle fins and the eagle alphas and the and the and the new datas were beginning to facilitate. Uh, that discovery process and people were coming to this kind of marketplace to find the data. If you were selling to corporates at the time who didn't know that they needed you, it must have been extremely difficult. You were you were educating at the same time. What, did you feel you're a lone voice? Were you were you flying to America to, or were you keeping it local in terms of who? How, how did you go about that education process of of building yourself a market, or did you find a market already? Was it was there a market that existed? Um, uh, no, there was not a market. Uh, we started, uh, as, as you said at the beginning, it was uh, very, very difficult to find uh, the, the the counterpart inside the corporates that could understand uh, 
the the magnitude of the of the consequences of accessing uh, such a wide such a wide um, scope mm. of information. And then, as you said, uh, for, I think the first conference I went to was in London by uh, either Eagle Alpha at the end of twenty seventeen, and that was the wow moment. Or said, oh, it has a name. Oh, there's other people doing this. Others, oh, <laughs> you're not alone in doing that. Um, but then, but of course, the, I think there it goes. Um, the marketing guys, the marketing guys in corporate, they were those that were more used to to using data that is uh, that is faster, even if dirtier, even if they have shorter history. Uh, if you speak with finance or CFOs. Or even the guys that work in pricing, they were less prone to use this. What is this new stuff? Should I base my 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 decision on 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 data that it is so new to the market, so they didn't trust it? Uh, but the marketing guys, no, they they were they were more open to experiment. They were more uh, used to having uh, sentiment data or to have to, to work with surveys to base their decision upon so the fact that uh, we use data collected uh, from the web didn't didn't come out as a scandal in their in, the, in their view and that that sort of uh, kicked off the first the first client and then of course you have to prove the use cases so you need to build trust uh, it's 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 a, it's a slow it's a slow moving elephant at the beginning but then of course when it gets going uh it it really permeates um every every decision making report that 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 is done inside the corporates we work in and as well as you know the advisors use it the investment banks use it the uh mm. the private equity guys use it and they all use the same jargon that of course had to be built from 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 scratch at the beginning and that that was a slow a, a slow uh path but yeah we you got that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are, are you um so you had to are you were beginning by selling this data to the luxury brands or or, or about um consumer and and uh, sweet spot being luxury uh, and you started by selling it back to the companies themselves um who about their own about their own um products and their competitors. Was it did you find and a bit of a whimsical question, but did you find that it was the the ones who are the most innovative, the most cutting edge, perhaps in fashion terms, who might be the ones who are most open to the ideas of like adopting new strategies using data and things like that. Whereas the, I don't know, was it the all the kind of old traditional, you know, we haven't changed for seventy years uh, in terms of their fashion, who weren't, or is it does it not work like that? I think I think the 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 key point was that the the slowly phase in of the e-commerce. So the luxury goods is not uh, was not very it's, it's not what you would would call it, at least uh, back then an inclusive environment was extremely exclusive, selling only on uh, in their own stores, and few prices are uh, displayed outside of the window. You needed really to physically to step in the the, the store and. Uh, and write down the prices if you, if you wanted some, and not all the prices were shown. So it came as a shock to them that their products were there for everyone to see, and they had they they sort of were caught off guard. So there was this uh, fear of being exposed moment that they rushed them into. Okay, so where where did my products end up to? 
Mm. What retailers, uh, where in the world did my products end up to? Uh, uh, what what can can you see of myself? That that was the first question. Even before turning to looking at the competitors, it was the shocking moment when you realize you're exposed. Googling themselves basically to discover what what the world can see about them. We it was a journey, even just just at some point. just even you know structuring what was not looked before. Even mm. there, there's so much you can understand about logistics, about distribution, about um, cycle um, uh, life cycle of of a single product. When you look at everything that that is that that appears uh, in a, in a pre uh, external data area uh, they, mm. era they were um, mainly looking at their own stores and what was currently uh, in their own stores and whatever ended up of the older collections it just it's just forgotten it ends up in this um, uh, big void out there in the universe nobody sees nobody cares but then of course in the web it was visible and the the fun part is is that this fact to to understand where the older collections ended up to we had an analyst uh which which was very interested in finding that and that proved uh that it was on a, one of the key elements to 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 understand where does the unsold inventory end up to and how do you measure it which uh provided the, the longer picture of how sustainable certain brands were or certain retailers were. And where does it where does it end up? Uh, the fact is um, that, you know, product, once it's out there, uh, un unless it's bought by somebody, it keeps on going from store to store. And at the end, it sort of cannibalizes uh, the, the sales of the most recent collections. Uh, because the truth is, is that each year collection is not so different than previous years. So um, this tends to to be a problem in terms of uh, uh, um, marginality uh, of the of the current collections. There were even stories of brands uh, that were just burning their unsold inventory. That that, that made uh, a couple of years ago uh, quite a scandal when this came out uh, because uh, they this industry tends to overproduce sometimes. And either you destroy it or it's still in the market, and this uh, definitely threatens your 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 current collection. And that was a theme that was totally overlooked by by most of of of, of the brands and of the retailers. And sort of when we brought it out, was one of the our uh, key findings, sort of one of the key use cases we were having to prove that yes, you can look in the long term. Yes, you can measure. Um, you can measure uh, indicators. You can have indicators that uh, projects long-term inertia of the industry you work in. It. It's not just is this product worth a thousand euros or or is it ninety ninety uh, nine hundred and ninety? You know, it's it's something more invasive on on your industry. As you say, sometimes prices in when you're buying luxury goods, prices are. You have to ask, you know, if you're buying jewelry sometimes, then you uh, it's there in the window and then you have to step inside and say, how much is that? How much is that, you know, piece of jewelry um, that 
do, do you see that happening in on the kind of company wide level in the in the in the way that you're dealing with it? Does that does that present challenges for you when it comes to trying to gather up to date data on this? Is there are there some items which just aren't put online and which which you which you need to go into the shop and ask for it? Or, or it's it's changing. Yeah. It's continuously changing. You 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 wouldn't you wouldn't be able to find uh, product prices for jewelry or fine watches. Uh, only three years ago, and then they started showing up slowly. And uh, it's difficult for brands because uh, brands have agreement on distributors. Distributors often apply uh, standard practices, st- standard practices on discounting or offers, or they 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 sort of cut off the price, and which makes exposing a price that is only fictitious very very difficult. And so. As 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 more and more um, products come out, there's a challenge on on the brand's perspective and on the, on the retailer's perspective. That if we expose a price, then it's a problem. If we have a thousand of different prices for the same stuff, even you know ranging swinging you know thirty or even 50 percent of differences, and and that that is possible only when you start rationalizing your uh, distribution network your logistics need to be more fit it's um, you know the, the way I like to say it when I, when I speak to, to corporates is that it's like the first time you uh, you buy a scale, you know, maybe you want to lose weight. The first time you buy a scale, you you are shocked about the numbers that it shows, and then it's it's only it's it's it takes time to get all those indicators that you were not watching uh, at the right place so that they 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 are they, they represent a healthy uh, business model, even if it is the most basic uh, indicator, which is the product price, which one would assume it's the easiest thing to to set and it turned out it was it just caught them off guard since the prices were all over the place and they were just not used to it i think i think other industries ha- have less these problems where where price is more monitored even if uh from from even if from in-store uh surveys or or collections such as the food retail or groceries there's more monitored um uh, uh, sector, but in luxury good, that was not the case. Hmm. So you've you've expanded, re, uh, you've kind of grown into the investment sector and and um, and the hedge funds, etc. Uh, how have you found that they've asked different questions of you or had different requirements of you from your from the corporate clients that you started out with? So uh, our our first uh, turning point was to understand that. Uh, and to make it clear that we were not, and we are not uh, finance guys. So all we had to do is try to describe the industry and the corporate as best as we could, because that was uh, our our core. Uh, there's still uh, prospects or clients that ask for you know uh, back testing or correlations with uh, the actual the results or, or or stock performance, but we just. We, we just needed to be clear at the beginning it wasn't that clear to us that we just need to be clear no we don't do this okay we just try to describe describe an, an, a company's uh, health status as good as we can and that's what we know so uh, at the beginning we were more in tune with uh, fundamental analysts uh, as they were discussing the exact same metrics on 
on on on even Sales on sell side, sell side report. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it it took a couple of years, uh, and and that was partly due to the uh, the fact that we needed to build history to start have more the more systematic guys and the more the the, the, the quant funds to get closer to us because they wanted to build models that were uh, specific of an industry. They were uh, and not broad uh, as they were used to to look at. So it changed over time. And but 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 the core message here was that we needed just to focus on what we were good in doing and not uh, try to overbuild something that uh, was outside of our of our core. I mean, we we just find our sweet spot there and trying to to have the that as clean as possible, and that's it. And then you guys build on top of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What does your What does your data look like? Um, what is the Is it Is it purely the kind of uh, the prices, or as it, it sounds like it's kind of grown beyond that because you are doing some ex- explanation as well and kind of uh, and and communicating the 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 health of the underlying company, and also how big is the universe? How many tickers do you cover? So, um, in terms of uh, in terms of ticker, uh, we, we're still so our productized data set still are focused on the luxury goods, which is is a niche uh, in terms of of publicly traded tickets. We're in the range of twenty tickers, mm-hmm. um, and and the data. So <laughs> there's there's the the interesting part is that uh, both fun, uh, fundamental analysts or, or 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 quant analysts ask us for the raw data, so it's it's bare uh, list of product prices over space and over time. Uh, but then we found that there's a lot of uh, color you can add by providing either dashboards or 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 structured uh, reports that. Teach you where to look. It's the, the data. The data uh, may seem uh, pretty uh, simple to look at, but the consequences are really uh, embedded in how do you understand uh, the, the, the 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 specific sector um, in terms of what is the difference of one distribution channel versus the other. What is the how should you analyze? How should you interpret the fact that discounts are going up or discounts are going down depending on the season? So we do also provide this sort of guidance and reports and and analysis and and and, um, and help to our clients. But at the end. The data is, is is still raw, and we. So I think one of the values we leave a lot of freedom to, to to our, our clients to to build on top of this what they what they find useful. Even because um, where I think is the value is not in 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 uh, the, the 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 additional information that our data sets provide. Uh, it's it's sort of a, a, an additional signal to other data sets. That clients have because they provide certain perspective, but of course, of course, it's only the online, um, on, only the online perspective. It is only a specific cut of the data set, so this needs to be integrated with something else. And uh, this is why we provide this um, as raw as possible with the. Uh, as 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 much material as we can in terms of describing why should you look at this, why this is weird, and and also why this changes over time. There's there are 
particular brands and the, the industry in general, luxury goods in general, has, has gone through a, a groundbreaking change since 2016 when we started collecting data. And the role of the website totally changed. You cannot, you cannot uh, take certain assumptions or read certain signals from websites back then that you can today and vice versa. There are things that you used to look uh, five years ago in data and that today are not valid anymore uh, mm-hmm. because back then it represented one, two percent of, of the entire sector revenues and today is closer to 20, 25 percent. Having watched House of Gucci recently, yeah. the movie, um, it kind of painted a picture. I know it's from the it's it's a story from the eighties, isn't it? And 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 Gucci has modernized very much since. But it paints a picture of these kind of um, old fashioned, family run, traditional kind of, and we've uh, this these kind of, I don't know, these feudalist fiefdoms a little bit, and these they're just a very different dynamic in that luxury goods sector than you would perhaps get in a, I don't know, a big retail multinational or a, or a, a supermarket chain or whatever, you know, um, is part of your job, does that still exist? And is part of your job explaining that? Do you find that you're having to explain the kind of the luxury goods companies to investors? Does that still exist? Or are the luxury goods companies the same as all the other companies really these days? Well, of course, there's um, they, the, 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 the bigger uh, the bigger uh, luxury uh, houses and conglomerates, such as LVMH, Caring, Burberry, and Capri Holdings and and Tapestry, um, are large retailers, of course, with their operations run by uh, professional managers. Um, there are, of course, the smaller brands, and I think the creative part of these brands and the sort of the storytelling that that is that is embedded in the products uh, still has something more to do with art. Than it is with science, uh, but the current managers do use. Uh, they, they are they come from different uh, backgrounds. Uh, the, the new hires from uh, Montclair Group or Prada, uh, they absolutely come from often from finance uh, background. So it is it is easy to speak with them. What is what what it makes uh, our job still uh, still relevant is that. Um, to to the investors, these companies don't disclose, don't don't give as as disclosure as normal retailers historically do in the retail sector. So if you think about uh, what Nike is disclosing or what H H and M is disclosing, it is it is so richer than what Gucci, uh, Caring does disclose. Uh, if you think LVMH doesn't even break down by brand their their revenues, so it's there's still a lot of um, of work to do in terms of making them transparent. And of course, our work uh, fits in this picture because we provide a data that tries to spot a light uh, on on the performance of these brands and how the market is reacting. So what's the story of luxury goods that, you, that somebody could tell from your data in the last few years? What's What's been going on? Where's the, where's the action been? Uh, I think there, there are, uh, there's one huge trend that is developing and uh, which is uh, this so-called direct-to-consumer trend. All the brands try to own the, the distribution and try to 
to make and to keep all the margins for themselves. This, of course, uh, meaning that Gucci is, uh, uh, is trying to sell through the Gucci.com, that uh, Michael Kors wants to sell through the MichaelKors.com, and Burberry wants to sell on the Michael Kors on the Burberry.com, and and this goes to the expense of a lot of local retailers or even multi-brand uh, retailers that the d- department stores department stores as well and there's of course a, a, a long a, a long-term uh pressure going on since many years and it's just uh and it's still there on the multi-brand distribution uh that is suffering because of this it was in the physical world pre-e-commerce it was already there with the um it was called directly operated stores when you walked in uh, mm. Saks, uh, on, on, on the Fifth Avenue or in, in, you know, in London, uh, L.A. and Hong Kong. You had the, the Gucci store, not entering the Neiman Marcus or the Lane Crawford, but you entered the uh, Hermes store or the Chanel store. They were already willing to control the distribution, but you had to be geographically there. And with the digital, this is no longer as necessary as it was. So now, so now this, the, the, the bigger brands are trying to polarize the distribution. And this is really disrupting uh, the, 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 the ecosystem. The, the bigger brands that are able to, to, to attract consumers on their distribution are growing bigger at a faster pace, while all the, the, the smaller and mid-sized brands that are have not the, the capex uh, power to do so are, are, are a little bit left behind. So um, profits, margin, and growth is also attracted on the bigger names, and it is consolidating. Yeah, it it makes sense. It's a it's a little bit like music in that um it's hard to be discovered these days and, and the big the, the the people with the you know the big back catalogs are now being able to 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 make the money from touring and um and we get less less novelty and less less freshness. But the um the so it's uh, yeah, it's it's very it's it's kind of all part of the death of the high street, isn't it? The the internet killing the high street. And actually that's that's okay for the luxury brands. They don't mind because they can they can reclaim their margins, which previously had been going into the department stores. So um so yeah, good time to be a luxury good operator, is it? If you're big enough. If you're big enough. <laughs> if you're big enough, yes. If you're big mm. enough, yes. It's like uh probably the same disruption that Amazon is setting to the local retailers, right? Mm. So it's it's really it's really a disruption, and they're still to see what the consequences on this, uh, how far these consequences uh, will reach. But yeah, indeed, a good time to be uh, uh, on the top on the top uh, on the top names. So the sex, the next thing that's needed is some kind of small luxury good discovery place online, um, a kind of a, a place where you can. Uh, stumble into and find this wonderful new luxury good and and um and somehow create the buzz which instagram has uh, is is okay for doing isn't it instagram's actually quite good at um getting getting the luxury goods into the hands of the right influencers and then you'll be discovered um so there are there are still tactics where you can where you can kind of get going 
But okay, that's that's one for that's one for the next. Uh, <laughs> that's one for the future. Um, brilliant. Well, Andrea, I think this has been um, this has been really useful. Um, really good rundown of uh, uh, eye opener for me to get into the into the luxury goods sector and what's going on. And and um, uh, and clearly, you're the person to talk to about it. So um, so thanks very much for for your time and 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 telling me all about it. And 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 best of luck with databoutique.com's uh, glorious future. Thank you. Thank you so much. And good luck with your podcast, which is. Uh, one of the key, uh, one of the key podcasts I always listen to when trying to uh, understand a little more on this on this data space, always evolving. You're very kind. Thank you very much. Thank you.